Chapter Nine of the Falcon on the Baltic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Falcon on the Baltic by E. F. Knight. Chapter Nine, Keel Bay. When I awoke the next morning after dreaming that i was lying weather-bound for ages in some desolate bay of friesland and realized where i was i experienced a keen sense of relief and satisfaction it was sunday the tenth of july a hot and fine day but as there was no longer any necessity for making use of every rare spell of decent weather and as moreover the wind was still southwest and therefore unfavorable for the ascent of the river I decided to take a holiday and remain where I was till the morrow. We brought up our wet clothes and bedding and hung them up to dry in the sun, and after breakfast I set sail in the dinghy and went forth to explore. I perceived an English steamer discharging coal on the other side of the river, so I first sailed over to her in the hope of borrowing some home papers. She hailed from the Tyne and had a scottish captain and a crew of big geordies the captain lent me several papers a fortnight old and then accompanied me on shore tunning is a pleasant-looking old-fashioned town of four thousand inhabitants who show more traces of danish blood than i had expected to find in the south of schleswig most of its houses seem to have been built about two hundred years ago and many of them have gardens full of fine roses which were now in full bloom nearly every one we met spoke english but none of the custom-house officers could do so curiously enough i found this to be the case in all the german ports i visited we entered a cafe in the quaint old market-place we found no one in it but soon a tall graceful and very good-looking young lady came in to serve us with beakers of Rendsburg beer. The skipper and myself were expressing our admiration of this very charming person and remarking upon the great superiority, in point of figure, of the women of Denmark over their sisters in the Teutonic and other Scandinavian nations, when her eyes flashed with a lively amusement and she said with a quiet smile, I understand what you say, gentlemen. I do not think she was offended at the very respectful praise we had been giving expression to. She was the daughter of the host who now appeared on the scene, a jolly old chap who had fought as an officer against Prussia in 1864. She was a well-educated girl and had been a governess in good families both in London and Brighton. Her English friends had sent her the jubilee numbers of the graphic and illustrated London news, which he was able to lend us. She said that Tunning was a very quiet town, but that in the autumn steamers left here several times a week with cattle fattened on the surrounding marshes for England. But this trade, she told us, was now falling off, as meat had become so cheap in England that it did not pay to export it. This was indeed news to me, and I made a note to talk the matter over with my very affable but not little charging butcher on my return to London. 
when we rose with reluctance to bid farewell to our agreeable hostess she took us into the garden and presented us each with a bouquet of magnificent roses in the afternoon wright and myself called at a butcher's a baker's and a grocer's to lay in stores in each we were served by young women who had acquired the english language in london it seems as if it is the custom for all the girls of tunning to complete their education in our country in the night there was a half a gale of wind from the southwest and heavy rain so we again tumbled about merrily at our anchorage the next stage of our journey was a pleasant and interesting sail of the river eider and the schleswig-holstein canal to the bay of kiel this waterway between the north sea and the baltic whereby the long and stormy voyage round the ska is avoided is unfortunately not practicable for vessels of much more than one hundred tons burden for the river is very winding and of little depth and ever-shifting sandbanks that obstruct the mouth of the eider cannot be crossed by any but shallow craft no vessel of more than ten feet draft can take this short cut across the peninsula but the new canal now in course of construction from the eider to the elba will admit even large men-of-war and is destined to be one of the most important ship canals in the world the distance from the mouth of the eider to keel bay is as the crow flies rather more than fifty miles but so tortuous is the route by river and canal that i imagine it must be double that distance the canal itself is only twenty miles long and joins the river about six miles above rendsburg the tide flows as far as this last mentioned town where the first sluices met there are altogether six sluices each one hundred feet long and the greatest altitude attained is twenty-five feet above the level of the baltic at midday july eleventh when the flood was just beginning to make we weighed anchor our luck had indeed changed the wind had followed us all the way up the coast from wilhelmshaven had then considerably altered its direction to help us up to tunning and now it turned round to the northwest the fairest wind possible for a vessel bound from here to rendsburg it blew hard and the squalls were often severe we scudded along fast and soon reached the little town of friedrichstadt where a railway bridge spans the river this bridge the only one between the sea and rendsburg is built at a sharp bend of the river and the tide runs under it with great velocity and in an oblique direction so that sailing vessels have difficulty in passing safely through the narrow opening left by the swinging portion of the bridge in consequence of this the railway company is compelled to keep a tug always ready under steam to help vessels through free of charge the bridge was open when we approached and as we had the wind right aft we did not need the steamboat services after sailing some miles through a monotonous flat country of marshy pasture we entered a region of low hills among which the river now much narrower took a very winding course the scenery appeared very charming after the artificial level landscapes of holland we were no longer hemmed in by regular dikes but the woods and grassy slopes came down to the water's edge 
comfortable-looking old farmhouses with high thatched roofs nestled among the beech trees and called to mind the homesteads of our own west country this was evidently a rich pastoral district and the people appeared happy and well-to-do great numbers of sleek cattle were in the rich pastures and vast flocks of geese marched along the towpath under the command of urchins the day though windy was sunny and warm so the haymakers were busy on the banks a jolly lot of fellows who addressed us cheerily in unknown tongues as we sailed by we passed several small villages each with its ferry-boat traversing the river on a chain like the grinds at cambridge the scene was always lively and cheerful and i soon came to the conclusion that the eider is one of the pleasantest rivers in europe for a yacht cruise hello look there sir what's that great bird on the bank cried wright suddenly it was a stork standing on one leg and gazing at us with an expression of profound melancholy then it flashed upon me that we were in the land of storks and as a student of hans anderson i should have remembered this before we saw many more of these birds in the course of the day they were always alone the stork seems to be a very meditative bird and fond of solitude we passed a good many vessels schooners and catches of about ninety tons clumsy-looking craft with lofty square sterns but very handy they turned to the windward in the narrow reaches of the river as smartly as a thames barge will those coming from the baltic were generally laden with timber those from bremen and hamburg with coffee sugar and other colonial produce the wind was abaft us most of the way but in consequence of the windings of the river we were often reaching or tacking we carried the flood with us for nine hours and we sailed on with no mishap save that we once missed stays and ran ashore on a hayfield until nine in the evening when we came to an anchor near a picturesque old farm having no chart or map of this river i had no idea where we were and did not much care for there are no dangers on the eider and pilot directions are not wanted it was a perfectly calm night and it was pleasant to hear round us the lowing of cattle the song of nightingales and the chirping of crickets for a change instead of the howling of wind and the dashing of waves i was awakened early the next morning by the cackling of hens and other noises from the farmyard and turning out i found that a cloudless sky was overhead and a light southwest wind was blowing the haymakers were already at work in the fields and the milkmaids were bustling about with their wooden pails we got under way after breakfast and sailed to rendsburg which we reached early in the afternoon this is a fortified town of about thirteen thousand inhabitants quite as old-fashioned and quaint as tunning but far more lively and interesting the remains of an old castle dominate the town and a considerable prussian garrison is now stationed here we made fast to the quay close to the sluice and remained here for the night a crowd as usual gathered on the quay to stare at us but the children did not annoy us at all german boys are not so rough and troublesome as the dutch 
in fact i consider them to be the most staid youngsters in europe they are so hard worked at school and such massive learning is driven into their young heads that they have little life and energy left for mischief if boys had any voice in the matter they would refuse to be born in germany i reported myself to the custom-house and paid the canal dues which amounted to ninepence a large ketch that had entered the eider the same day as ourselves came in shortly after us and brought up alongside i chummed up with her skipper and we repaired to a public-house he knew of whose host was one of those english-speaking ex-sea captains who seemed to compose half of the population of these countries he told me that many english yachts used to pass through the canal some twenty years ago and that it was very rare to see one now he said that a yacht flying the german flag but in charge of an english skipper and crew had been in rendsburg the day before she was drawing too much water for the canal so it was found necessary to take all her ballast out she had chartered a steamer to tow her to the baltic while the ballast followed astern in the boats i afterwards discovered that this was an english-built yacht the carlotta which had been purchased by a german officer resident at kiel and that she was about to race at the kiel regatta on the twenty fourth she is a fast boat and i believe she carried off the first prize the skipper of the catch told me that he had come from bremen where he had been weather-bound by the northwest wind for three weeks nearly all the profits of the voyage had been eaten up by this delay for his freight was only five marks a ton and out of this he had to pay a mate and three hands and meet heavy dues the next morning july the fourteenth we were off at seven this was another glorious day and if i was charmed with the country we had traversed so far i now became enthusiastic in my admiration few rivers can show such a succession of lovely scenes as the eider above rendsburg we passed through the sluice and then found that the river widens into a lake-like expanse at the back of the town bordered with trees and presenting a very picturesque appearance so fine a piece of water in the vicinity of an english town would be crowded with pleasure craft here there were but a few skiffs and no sailing boats there is no doubt about the english being far ahead of all other european peoples in what the germans call the water sport even in such maritime countries as holland denmark and north germany the most glorious facilities for yachting are almost totally neglected after this the river narrowed but to open out again shortly into a far more extensive lake of very clear water surrounded by hills whose abrupt outlines made them appear far higher than they really were it was a beautiful scene the water scarcely ruffled by the light breeze lay blue under the cloudless sky the hills save in places where there were miniature precipices were clothed either with woods or green pastures at one corner of the lake was a pretty little village nestling among the trees there were not many habitations elsewhere on the shores and but few signs of man's presence but of other life there was no lack there were many well-fed cattle standing on the shingle beach by the water's edge the air was full of birds white swans were floating on the water 
and the fish were jumping all around us as i had no map of it and had thought that the eider would probably prove as uninteresting as a dutch canal it was very delightful to come thus unexpectedly on so beautiful a country i should recommend that village at the corner of the lake as a good place for a jaded man from the town to pass his holiday in he is certain to find some cosy little inn there and with a sailing-boat a fishing-rod and a few books he might dream away a summer's month very pleasantly those sailing men too who wax so enthusiastic over the norfolk broads should try this water the cattle-boat from london would carry a small centreboard boat on her deck to tunning and the voyage thence to keel will be found superior to anything that can be done on the narrow rivers and shallow pools of east anglia i may mention that between rendsburg and the baltic there is no perceptible current and there are only three bridges to pass through we sailed on now up the winding stream now across other breadnings the local name for broad lying under the smiling hills later on the river became much narrower but was no less beautiful it flowed between steep high banks covered with timber we were crossing what appeared to be a more thinly populated district and there were few signs of cultivation but it was a region of luxuriant wild vegetation honeysuckles dog roses and other flowers in profusion were growing at the lower edge of the woods scenting all the river tall bulrushes border the water and we were often forcing our way through the white water lilies that floated on the surface the larks and other birds were singing merrily above us and the bees were busy among the honeysuckles and for almost the first time this year there was a genuine appearance of summer around us we had plenty of exercise on this journey for when the wind headed us as it often did we took it in turns to tramp along the towpath and tow the yacht no light weight and as the wind died away altogether in the afternoon this was our only means of progressing for nearly five hours it was very hot work and the gnats worried the man with the tow-line terribly we passed through two more sluices at both of which the guardian was of course an old sailor who could speak english and at eight o'clock we went through the first bridge we had seen since leaving rendsburg it closed behind us and then hot tired and very ready for supper and bed we made fast to the bank close to a schooner laden with bricks soon a young man came down and talked to us a good deal in his own language he pointed to our warps and went through an unintelligible pantomime but we could make nothing of him till of a sudden wright called out didn't he say pert then sir why that's something like the dutch word for a horse of course how stupid i was not to have recognized the word over which i had puzzled so long at assen no doubt pert was the low german equivalent so calling to mind how our dutch towing man had conveyed his meaning to us i brought out paper and pencil and made a rough sketch of a horse i showed it to him 
he knew at once what it was intended for ja ja pert he exclaimed in a delighted voice nodding his head in the affirmative then by pointing to the sky by pantomime and by diagram i endeavoured to explain to him that if the wind was not fair for us on the morrow we would be happy to engage his pert otherwise we would dispense with his services i believe he understood me at any rate he went away seemingly contented we rose at six on july the fourteenth it was another fine sunny day and the wind was southwest so we did not take the young man's pert but got away under sail at ten we reached the fourth sluice and found that we had now attained the highest point on the canal for at this lock we were lowered about ten feet in another hour we passed through the fifth sluice which is at a hamlet called noop this was a lovely neighbourhood magnificent beech trees overshadowed the canal and the manor house with its park and its gardens sloping to the water called to mind some of the summer places on the upper thames there is a pleasant beer garden too under the trees at noop for this sweet spot is a favourite resort of the citizens of keel at one o'clock we passed through the last sluice and shortly afterwards we came to the village of holtenau where the canal opens into the sea we sailed out into the salt water and were in the baltic at last before us lay the beautiful fjord of keel surrounded by hills covered with beech woods and about two miles up the fjord were visible the roofs and shipping of germany's greatest naval station the fjord looked more like a lake than an inlet of the sea and this we found to be the case with all the fjords on the coast for the water of the baltic is extremely clear and it contains so much less salt than that of other seas that it nourishes a rank aquatic growth which rises to the surface of the shallows and much resembles the long weeds that choke some of our english rivers again the range of the tide is so small a few inches in the southern baltic that the trees and other vegetation grow to the very edge of the sea and despite the rigorous climate there is a luxuriance in the plant life on the eastern slopes of the cimbrian peninsula that recalls tropical shores what change was this after the north sea here we would never have to trouble our heads about tides and currents instead of coasting along dangerous shallows out of sight of land we could now sail for a thousand miles and always remain within a stone's throw of the shore and in water so lucid that it would never be necessary to sound a glance over the side would tell the depth for here all the rocks and weeds at the bottom are clearly visible when many fathoms below a vessel's keel we tacked up the bay and after passing many enviable county seats came to as pretty a suburb as any city in europe can boast of here embowered in fine trees were the villas of great merchants each with its lawn and well-tended flower-garden sloping to the tideless sea and each with its little landing-stage at which a pleasure-boat was moored 
the next thing that struck my attention was a nice-looking restaurant on the shore with a large garden in front of it in which an excellent band was playing to a crowd of well-dressed people who were sitting over coffee or box of beer in the admirable german fashion this was just the sort of cheerful place i liked to anchor off and as i saw that several small yachts were moored about here and as the centre of the town could be little over a mile away i thought it better to bring up here where i was than to sail on to the commercial harbour we let go our anchor some thirty yards from the shore and i quickly put myself into shore-going apparel for i was anxious to get my letters which had been waiting for me here more than a month i hoisted the sail in the dinghy and tacked towards the restaurant on the way i passed a yacht which proved to be the carlotta her english skipper had watched us coming in i did not expect to see a small boat flying the royal thames burgy out here he shouted out as i went by him i landed at the restaurant landing stage and while enjoying a bock of cool lager i was informed by the waiter that this was the folkers garden and the trams for keel passed the gate every few minutes i was driven to the town through an avenue of beautiful trees keel is full of beautiful trees and found my letters at the british consuls then i set out to explore the streets there was always something very fascinating in a first stroll through a strange city but especially so when one has just landed from a little yacht in which one has been roughing it for some time this sudden plunge into luxury and civilization gives a charm to travelling that the railway tourist can scarcely appreciate the yachtsman too is in such rude health and high spirits that he is ready to enjoy everything keenly and even the change from jersey and rough sea clothes to white shirt and decent apparel produces a sense of comfort and happy jack assurishness that lends further zest to his amusements i found keel one of the pleasantest places i visited this year but for what there is to do and see in it i refer my readers to the books of baedeker i stayed here three days and i did not find the time hang heavy when i wearied of the streets i sailed in the dinghy about the fjord and among the german men-of-war in the harbour there were many fine vessels here at the time but i could not quite fancy the german men-of-war's men though they are no doubt excellent sailors militarism can perhaps go too far one can put up with railway porters postmen and other lawnsmen being uniformed and drilled to resemble soldiers but to an englishman's taste a sailor should be allowed to look like a sailor and not be goose-stepped till he has the stiff bearing of a guardsman the slouching ease of our own blue jackets seems more appropriate for one whose profession it is to tumble about the seas there was a chinese man-of-war in keel her men did not look like either sailors or soldiers after thinking it over some time i cannot say what they did look like on the morning after our arrival i was reading an english paper in the cabin when i was startled by a sound that was very familiar but the last i should have expected to hear in keel fjord had i been dreaming or was i still lying off the doves at hammersmith 
it was a humid voice screaming and cursing in the purest thames topath dialect reckless of aspirates rich in horrible invective it was a cockney addressing men whom he called respectively five four three and so on as if they were so many convicts he was urging them in impassioned language not to feather under water to keep their something eyes in the boat not to sugar and to do or to avoid doing several other things how often had i been bullied in a similar fashion by a similar tyrant on the cam i leapt on deck and lo there was a genuine racing four pulling by there were several other fours and funnies on the bay and it was evident that the wassersport was much patronized at keel i afterwards learnt that the rowing regatta was soon coming off so all the rowing men were in training and this particular crew of young germans had imported a professional coach from the thames to teach them how to row they were very enthusiastic and plodding but the coach with all his skill and blasphemy could not drive any real style into them it seemed strange that the north germans well set up as they are physically can never approach the english in any athletic sport it's all that damned blacker they drink said a professional oarsman who had been to hamburg to me it swells them out till they're all wool and flabbiness the keel rowing men made a good deal of their tutor admired him greatly and bore his fearful language with patience they wanted to learn rowing at any cost and they had been led to understand that it was quite impossible to become a true english wasser sportsman unless one has been well cursed through one's apprenticeship our berth opposite the folker garten was certainly the best we could have selected in keel bay the gate of the garden is open all night so that i could leave my dinghy at the landing stage and return on board at any hour it is possible that i ran some risk in doing this for several boats on hire are moored to this landing stage and the university students have a habit after a heavy nipe of coming down here at three in the morning and going away with the first boat they find to take a sail on the bay and cool their fevered brows the university of keel is famous for its school of medicine of an evening when the band played there were generally a good many of the students in the folkers garden i have never before seen german students at home and they struck me as being somewhat swaggering young gentlemen many of them especially those who had no good looks to lose proudly carried on their faces the ornamental scars of their duels at sunset the scene from our yacht's deck was always an animated one the gardens were illuminated and pleasure boats glided round us usually containing pretty and well-dressed girls who amused themselves by burning coloured fires while their husbands or brothers or others took the oars the narrow locks of the dutch canals had taken a good deal of a varnish off the falcon's sides and she was beginning to look very disreputable so before proceeding on the voyage i took the yacht back to holtenau and laid her alongside the canal bank for two days while wright and myself 
set to work scraping cleaning varnishing and painting till she looked quite smart again and now having reached the baltic i had to decide whither we were to journey next not an easy task for a great choice of delightful cruises lay before me i studied the charts and longed to explore all the deep winding fjords of these seas there was lyam fjord in the north of jutland the largest and most interesting of all there was the gotha canal which would take me through lakes wenern and wettern to stockholm there was lubeck and the coast of north germany danzig and the vistula how splendid it would be to sail up the vistula to warsaw then there were the lakes of finland st petersburg and but i am too ambitious and i sighed as i remembered that the end of july was near that my holiday was almost finished and that i had no time to carry out even the least of the above projects i realized that it would be impossible for me to see much of the baltic and sail back to england this year so i gave up all idea of taking the boat home and made up my mind to cruise about these waters as long as i was able and then to lay her up for the winter in some convenient place to which i would return the following summer and complete my voyage my intention was to sail to copenhagen not directly but by a circuitous route through the little belt into Kattegat, and so to the sound i should thus see some of the most beautiful coast scenery of Schleswig, jutland and zealand end of chapter nine recording by john brandon